Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Amelis on 4th. Today we're talking with musician and Afropunk OG Orlando Greenhill. We're talking about his band Create, his various projects, and his appearance on The Pound Hole. I know what it sounds like, but it's not what you think. So, how's it looking out in California? Man, it's kind of humid out here right now, man. And we just had an earthquake right now, dude. Like, not right now, but yesterday, like last night. I heard about that. You know, I just... I was chilling with my mom, dude, and I'm like, you, you know, I'm just chilling, dude. Like, whatever, man. Long as I don't see no crack in the ceiling, I'm cool. I'm not going outside. <laughs> but it's just pretty hard. <laughs> I remember the first time we got a we got an earthquake over here. I don't know what the fuck was going on. Um, it was wild. I'll put it that way. Wow. I had no idea because I never experienced that before. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I'm running. Somebody running a house. Okay, nobody's running the house. What's going on over here? <laughs> Are you in Seattle? No, I'm on the East Coast. I'm over in Maryland. I don't know why I thought you were like in in, in Washington for some reason. No, 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 Washington D.C. Well, that's funny. <laughs> I totally got it all wrong, man. And Heavy, man, it happens. I'll never forget the first time I went to um, some of their early Afropunk gatherings, right? And I always say, yeah, yeah, my family and I just came here from uh, from Maryland. It's like, you drove here? Like, it was such a big fucking deal. I'm like, yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> you know? Jeez. I wish I could have gone to some of those Afropunk things, man, back in the day. Also, because, like, I remember when Timba, um, I think Rosie went, too. Rosie and, uh, I think, I wonder if even Bea went. Um, no, they, they all went, they and... and I just didn't have enough money to roll out there. That would have that was the key too because like they met everybody. Like they took that picture too with like um with Chaz and, and James and it was man, J C was there. I'm like, man, dude, I wish I was there. But I heard it was lit that year too. I think DeFay um played as well. Yeah, yeah, they did. It was great. I wasn't in that photo for some reason. I can't remember why not, but I wasn't in that photo, which kinda sucks actually. But whatever. Wow. Yeah. You know, those those were dope times. I put it that way. I wish the organization was a little, at least for the moment, literally like I was a bit more organized at that moment because, you know, at first it was at CBGBs and then they said head over to Brooklyn Academy of Music and then next thing it ended up in the park and everything, but it was all scattered about. So it was a bit, it was kind of weird. Wow, it would have just been cool. I mean, shoot, man. I, I mean, it's amazing how we all kept in contact with each other too. I mean, especially right. like I, I mean. I really wanted to jam out with Calvin too, man. Like, cause we talked about it. I never yeah. got a chance to meet him in person, but we always kept in contact with each other. Same here. Memory, brother, you know, totally. and, man, that would be dope to jam out with you too, based on the influences that like we have and stuff. So, oh, yeah. you know, totally. That'd be dope as well. You know, it's feasible. It's like, you know, it's just, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like, of all the times for stuff to settle down, actually, right? It's those COVID-19 shit. So now it's like, good news, you get to hang around people. Bad news, you might get sick from hanging around them. I know, dude. Like, even my Sound Army cats, man. Like, like they get together and kind of do their own, like, instant band. Like, you know, where they are and, and, and at the beach. And I'm really proud of them for doing that. Me, I'm not really going out much, man. I got to make sure my health is on point. You know, like, oh, yeah. I got to make sure. And my cousin, my cousin, thank God he's out. He caught it. You oh, know, and shit. I know a few other people that caught it, too. So I'm like, I'm like, man, I ain't taking no chances, dude. You know, <laughs> like, smart shoot. move, you know. 
But speaking of beaches and growing up, what was growing up in Long Beach like? Long Beach, I mean, I'll say this, it's the most diverse city in the world. Um, in my opinion, I actually heard, I've, I've read that actually we are the most diverse city in America, but I'm going to say the world. Um, and I have like, Long Beach is a trip because it's like, uh, basically it's like a big city with a small town attitude. It's a two degree separation here and you'd be surprised who knew every, you would be surprised who knew each other. Like a dude could be in a suit and tie, you know, and know some, some like, you know, homeboy on the block, you know, or some straight up like nerdy dude, you know, like, or, or that particular like skater that you see going down the street is related to a teacher or whatever. You got some gangsters like that are cool with like surfers. It's a trip. <laughs> it is the trippiest city, you know, like just, I mean, every city has its hardships and I've seen things that like, you know, some of the things that I talk about that you know about even here. But I love, Long Beach taught me about a lot of things, plus having the parents that I grew up with taught me a lot, you know, like just very diverse environment. And, you know, like I, I can say I'm a product of my city in a, in a positive way, you know, just being a very eclectic person and, you know, trying to basically like, um, just, it, I mean, I'm around so many different kinds of people from all walks of life. And, and that's what that represents to me, at least, you know, it's very diverse. Hmm. They call it the city by the sea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, the Ron Beach the Dis, right? Heck yeah. Shout out to my homeboy, RBX, <laughs> a.k.a. Eric Miller. <laughs> yep, he's the one who originally said that. But yes, the Ron Beach the Dis. We do it like this. Because <laughs> hmm. when I think of Long Beach, I think of Snoop Dogg, you know? Yep. Like, I never met Snoop. My uncles work with him. I mean, like, my uncle has worked with him on rhymes and stuff or whatever. And, and like, my family knows him. Like, they all went to school with him. I've never met him before. I know people that know him, though, just family-wise and friends-wise that, you know, they know him just from, from being in Long Beach or they worked with him, hmm. you know. But, yeah, Cameron Diaz used to go to Poly High with my sister, and, and Snoop went there, too. They all went around the same time. Yeah, we all knew each other too. It's crazy. <laughs> I've never met either one of them though. Hmm. That's pretty dope though. <laughs> all right, so when'd you start playing bass? When did I start playing? Yeah, I started playing in February in 1988. Um, and the reason I started playing is because they didn't have guitar in orchestra class. My dad, like, okay. I don't know if I'm. I should probably tell you the whole story. <laughs> I got an hour to fill, man. You know, and also moments like this, no problem. You know. Oh man, cool. Okay. Well, I, I I really wanted to play guitar. My dad had a guitar around the house because him and my mom used to play and jam out, and they were in a band together. Yeah. My dad would write songs on that guitar. I saw Jimi Hendrix, like when I was probably around 11 years old. I'm thinking about 11 years old, maybe early 12, but it's close to. I would say about 11. Mm -hmm. somewhere around then um and i was like dude i gotta do that like he that solidified it right there that's what that's when i i'm like i know what i want to do i want to play i want to play the guitar i want I, I, I you know jimmy jimmy was my uncle sam dude you know how that uncle sam poster basically oh, has yeah. cats you know he's pointing at cats saying we want you well jimmy was my uncle sam and, and, and that guitar was pointed at me and saying we need you in this sound army you know, like, so I'm like, 
I'm down, dude, you know. And so I wanted to pick up the guitar, but, um, you know, I didn't really, like, it was, it was, um, <clears throat> I, 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 I would just say I didn't have, like, too much tutelage on it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, my dad taught me, like, a chord, and I just kind of fooled around on it a bit. Um, and, then, like, you know, I'm, I'm in the seventh grade. Oh, no, actually, I was playing violin in, in elementary, too. But um, seventh grade hit. I don't know what it was about the violin. I just kind of wasn't feeling it. I was just hoping that they had, like, a guitar, you know. And I, you know, my dad was like, well, hey, you know, they got bass. Why don't you just play that? And I'm like, shoot, that thing is big. And I didn't really, really know what the bass was until actually I started playing it. I probably knew in my subconscious, but for some reason, you know, the guitar stood out to me more. Like a lot of guys in the 80s, you know, they, they, they you know, we dug on Eddie Van Halen and Hendrix, you know, and, and all, you know, all this stuff that was around then, but also came before, you know, like, so I'm like, all right, dude, you know, I'm gonna check that out. And I've been playing ever since, you know, I've been playing bass ever since. Hmm. Started out with upright and, and somehow like, like my uncle Andre, um, whose birthday is today. Happy birthday, uncle Andre. Oh. Um, he got a bass for me and, and I, I played that, you know, like, so I was, I started off on upright and electric kind of almost simultaneously. It's weird, you know. Which do you prefer? Both. Hmm. It's like two different characters. That's why. And some, you know, some people have accused me of doing the same things on both. <laughs> I've seen you play upright bass one time. It was, I can't remember who it was with though, but you were backing somebody up. I can't remember who it was with, but it was a, definitely a mutual, you know? I can't remember who it was with, but it was a video on Facebook. You were playing upright bass, you had a bow and everything, you know? And I can't remember, it was a woman that was singing, though. I can't remember what video it was or who it was. It's going to drive me crazy. Because I thought it was Brienne Ford for a second, but apparently it wasn't her. Was it Bridge Feltus? Yes, it was her. Yeah. Show me that video, man. I wish I could find videos from when I played with her. I'm only on one recording that she had me play on um, that that she released. Man, it's, it's been a while, actually. I don't even know how many years ago that was. And that was very exciting. It was cool playing with her because she was very eclectic and mixed a lot of things together. You know, she's a really cool person, too. Oh, yeah. Bridge is awesome. I think, I, I think um, let me see. I believe James did a tattoo for her. Yeah, he did. He totally did. I yeah. think it was like a, a lotus or butterfly or something like that. Yeah. So tell us more about how Create started. Create started, um, shoot, that's a good one. <laughs> I love the origins of Create. Um, at the time, um, Create started around 1999. Uh, we basically, it was me and a dude by the name of Chris Schlarb, who is a solo artist now. And I think he has like a studio thing that he does called Big Ego. Um, he works with like Mike Watt and a few other people. Mm -hmm. um, they've, they've put out um, different albums. Detangler is one of them. My friend um, Davin Givan, I, have, I always mess up his name. Dav Davin's played with like Saul Williams, Lauren Hill, and a lot of other people. But um, I think his Detangler project is out on Big Ego or, or – um, I don't know Chris's label, but like he record, he, I think did recording for that album, but 
that uh, create got started basically um, with me, Chris Larb, and my friend Steve Richardson. Steve Richardson is an amazing drummer. I, I can't even that dude is a drum man. <laughs> He's like probably almost seven feet tall, and I kid you not, when he when he when he plays the drums, it looks like he's just holding chopsticks. <laughs> he's so freaking tall, man. I'm like, even Billy Cobham got something in common. Hmm. But um, we both, you know, like I met Chris like at my old job when I went to Blockbuster, and both of us were, you know, he was like the only dude that I knew, kind of near my age that was into progressive rock. And I'm like, you're into this stuff. And, and that's how, how we met. Um, and then, you know, that was probably about like 93, 94, somewhere around there. And then like around the late 90s, we started kind of jamming out. Um, I played on like some project of his called Erosion. And I mean, we talked about it a few years before that, but you know, that never went. I don't even remember. I think that was the first time. But anyway, long story short, sorry, I'm like, I go through all these explanations. Um, we, we we had like just this idea um, that we wanted to do things in the community, you know, and play music, not just be a band for artistic sake, you know, like we really had an, a heart for like a lot of activist stuff. I felt the most high it, for me personally, you know, like I'm like, well, man, should I join a group? Like, should I join like the National Urban League or some other you know, group that's doing something in the community. And it was like the most time was basically kind of impressing on my own heart that I should just basically, you know, pretty much use my talent. And this came about with create, create. We, when we got together, we um, played for the first time, I think like on my, like for a birthday party. And, and it's funny, that was the same um, time that I debuted my game that I used for my education and stuff. Hmm. For um, like somewhere around my, like it was a birthday party that I had. Basically, I had all my artist friends come out and bring their stuff, and and I debuted the instant band game, even though it was called something else before Chris had given it a title, um, called the Uptown Water Beetle is a cockroach or something like that. Interesting. And I I changed it to instant band because I wanted to make sure like people you know just. I just wanted to make it simple. So, I mean, I, I invented the game, so I just changed it and basically gave it a simpler title. But um, pretty much we got together. We just couldn't – we had these concerns in our heads because, you know, those guys, like, had some ideas. I had some ideas. Steve, you know, our drummer, um, one of the founders, is he's a pastor now, and he still does stuff in the community, like Feed Homeless and stuff like that. Um we just all had that in our hearts. We just couldn't really put it in the formation. So we decided to meet. It was like an upper room experience. Once we met, we felt like we had something even without saying it. And so that's when we just decided. And, and how the, even the name create came along, what I would do, I would actually write that word. I felt like, you know, impressed from the most high to put that on my shirt because I felt like a lot of people don't think that they're creative. They think only if you're an artist, you're creative. And so what I would do, I was like, basically put, I put the word, but then I put like the exclamation mark in parentheses to sort of emphasize that. Like, I don't even really need to emphasize it, but I'm emphasizing it anyway. So I put that exclamation mark at the end of create. And so I would wear that on the shirt and I would just have casual conversations based off of that and basically tell people, hey, you're creative by nature. You don't have to be an artist to have whatever you do being a work of art. So 
that came, and then, you know, like, the band came later, but it was just the trip how, like, um, we all kind of felt a certain great way, but couldn't put it into words, and then, like, we just decided to call the band Create, and then, like, the rest is history with, you know, we, we were 99% improv, we're saying 99 because we had maybe one song that we, one or maybe two songs that had a structure, but most of it was improv. Everything that you ever heard by us, it was all improv. Some of that stuff, I can't believe that we actually did that. My dad was also in the band. Um, he's on the first recording. Um, and it's just, that was cool having him because he, you know, he inspired me too. But um, Create was initially like a, 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 a um, we wanted to do just something more than play music. We wanted to, 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 to infect or affect the world with, with something great, just to let them know that they're, they have greatness within them and, and that they are creative, that they don't have to bottom out and be, you know, bummed out or, or, you know, like, cause just a concern, you know, like a lot of cats, especially out in the inner cities, a lot of cats ain't taught that, or you have, a person that grew up in sort of an, a, an environment where they're talked down a lot. So we just felt like, heck, you, you are creative. Even if you're not a musician, you're creative. If you're a freaking like shuffleboard player, that takes creativity to even do that. Yeah. If you're a janitor, that takes creativity to do that. So it went beyond the music. And that was that's still our whole manifesto. And even though we were three that started, there was like a bunch of different people that played with us, you know, so many people to name, you know, um, my comrade, Justice Constantine was one of them, mm -hmm. Peter Chan, um, Andrew Pompey, um, Danny Levine, Ian Suter, all these guys. I mean, there's so many different, Omid Walizade, who, I, who I've done stuff with, DJ ESP. I mean, there's so many people that I could name. I'd feel bad by forgetting them so i'm gonna say shout out to everybody that was ever working with create you know is it true that a mutual friend of ours by the name of temba was a part of create for lease for a brief moment yeah i think he played with us like i forget when i forgot about that yeah timba is one of them he he jammed with us i forget when 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 that happened though i know he did he totally did Shout out to Big Timba. That's that that brother is the coolest man. We we we've had some cool adventures too. <laughs> Timba also has been a supporter of Instant Band with a lot of the West Coast Afro Punk people. He was the first one to actually come out to our Instant Band session at Homeland. Her, him, and Bree, wherever she is, I haven't seen Bree since that time. Hmm. But yeah, yeah, because I remember something about that, and I. Cause I remember finding the create page on Wikipedia and I was like, and I saw Temba and I was like, I wonder if that's the same Temba that we yep. know. And I asked, I asked him about, and, and he said, yeah. And I, he's like, Oh, I forgot all about that. And I never yep. forgot about that. Yeah. Temba. See, there, it's been so, it's a trip. There's so many names on there. I, I forgot. And I'm glad that you reminded me. I feel bad. I'm glad because yeah, he did. I totally remember. I forgot where, but he's done. He he's done that with us before. He played with us, man. He was a part of us. I forget what gig though, man. It's it's kicking me in the head. He also played with um with us with with Mother Wit when I was playing with them too. I forget like it um at um in Lamert Park when we did a gig there. Really? Shout what? out to, to Brother Timba. Wait wait wait. You play Mother Wit in your boss's band, right? 
Yep. I, I did two shows with him. I did not know that. I put that on the list. <laughs> I didn't realize that was him on there. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize it, you know? Yeah, that's him, man. Like, shout out to Boston Fielder. Yep. That's my that's my man over there. That's, that's my bud right there. You know. Yeah. All right. So, how did Havelina come about? Havelina actually formed before I joined. But the funny thing about Havelina that's really funny. Um, a year before I joined them, I met those dudes at this. There, there's this really strange band. <laughs> they were really funny. I, I used to go see them whenever I could. Kind of in the more I hate to say. Um, use the term Christian rock because people think of just like contemporary Christian bands that like are kind of, you know, corny or whatever. But no, there's, there was a whole group of people, a group, a group of bands that were kind of like underground that were, you know, they were Christians or whatever. But um, this particular band had, I mean, they would play everywhere though. It doesn't, whether, whether it was a church or a bar or whatever, and it wasn't overtly preaching and all that stuff. But um this band Breakfast with Amy, it's almost a funny name for that band too, you know. I think they were referencing Amy Grant. If you heard the band, you would be laughing because they totally don't sound nothing like that. They're the equivalent to like Sonic Youth, Mud Honey, and, and some other weird stuff. They're a strange band. But um, I met them at a Breakfast with Amy gig. I went with one of my friends, I think my friend Sarah Tatro, uh, AKA Sarah Thursday, who's a, a poet here in uh, Long Beach. I think I was with her, either with her or my friend Juan Gomez, a boy named Violet. <laughs> I have all these character friends that, like, <laughs> I'm going to probably just rattle off during this interview. Shout out Ooh. to those cats. So what happened was, like, I see this dude in a freaking, uh, it looked like, you know those mechanics, that they wear those, like, I don't know if it's a jumpsuit or something when they go, like, it's like a onesie, like, yeah. but like a onesie for mechanics. This guy, he has his hair slicked back, and he has a onesie, and he just started randomly talking to me. I'm like, oh, he seems cool, you know. Um, turned out his name is Mark Cole. He's the first um, – he, he he was with some dude that had, had like, a black hat on, um, and and that's Matt. that was Matt Wignall, uh, the main dude that pretty much, you know, started Havelina. And so, you know, they, they I guess, were looking for a bass player, and I – um. I took their number, but then I lost it. And it was a, a year went by, and all of a sudden, I don't know how this came up, but my friend she, um, Cheryl, um, Cheryl Hecht, who, who was in the band The Halo Friendlies, and also I went to high school with her, she asked me if I knew this dude, and I'm like, huh? And so, like, basically, through her, I got hooked up with those cats again, and then I joined them, and I was in that band from 1990, like late 93 to basically 2005. Yeah, I did a lot. I'm on all the albums. I'm not on the demo tape that they did. I'm on, actually, no, I'm on one of them, but the very first demo tape I'm not on is a, a guy named Ray that played the bass for them, but I'm on the other demo tape um, after that, and then on to you know, 2005, all the albums and all that. So, yeah. Hmm. That's how that happened. <laughs> okay, seeing you have a very diverse musical background, what scene were you more involved with? You know what's really funny? And I think someone even said this. I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, I'm kind of... 
I'm associated with a lot of people, but not a part of any scene, to be honest. Okay. Um, I'm kind of like in in certain things, but not really of it. I've always felt like an alien, <laughs> you know, even even among certain people that I'm, I'm acquainted with. And, you know, it's cool that I guess I'm kind of fluid. I don't know if that's the right word to use. Um, I'm into my own thing pretty much always have been. I have friends from all walks of life, you know, like um, people might associate me with certain scenes, but I don't know if I ever could say that I'm a part of it. Like, I mean, anything from like the underground Christian music scene to the quality collective guys in LA, which, you know, both, I've met a lot of great people in both of those scenes, but I felt like as if I can't say that I'm a part of anything. I'm in, I'm in probably certain situations, but not really of those situations. I don't know if I'm making sense. Oh, it does actually. I'm, I'm like kind of everywhere, you know, like, um, shoot long beach punk scene i don't i can't even say that i'm even a part i was even a part of that i knew a lot of long beach punks i knew a lot of la punks but i had friends from eagle rock i had friends from everywhere you know like just all over the place you know friends that were gutter punks in hollywood in the early 90s and all that you know like just all over the place so i don't really know i mean i don't even know if anyone really would really associate with me with any scene per se um but i've always been kind of the guy that I always describe myself as kind of a ghost. <laughs> I'm there, but then I'm not there. Someone made some comment about me having a Melchizedekian personality. <laughs> like I just show up. I don't, that's a pretty funny thing. I mean, that's kind of an honor, but I don't, you know, I'm, I don't really, I'm letting them say that. I'm not referring to myself as that because that's to me like more of a higher thing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope I'm answering your question, but um, totally, I get I've it. Been, though. I've been in a lot of. I've been involved with a lot of stuff, but I can't say that I'm of one particular scene or like. I just dig, you know, wherever I am. Like I'm, I'm involved with the Sound Army and whatever bands that I play with. You know, like, um, I don't know what I'm really associated with, man. I'm kind of an alien, to be honest. I get along with. Oh, how could I say this? I've been friendly with a lot of cats, but I can't say that I've been very much um, like a, a part of any staple movement, unless it's the Sound Army movement. And even that's very diverse. Sound Army and Create. I don't know if that makes sense, but... <laughs> it does. Uh, it totally does, you know. Because, all right, Shot in the Dark, you know Joel Goodwin, right? Yeah, me and Joel are very good friends. That That brother... We, we actually met via, like, a lot of um, – people don't understand. Like, when you mention Christian-type musicians or whatever, they always think of, like, there's a culture that goes along with it, but then there's a lot of things that don't fit in that culture. And I, I would say a lot of my friends, um, we've probably been around it, but we don't – a lot of us don't fit. Joel is one of them. You know, like, oh, yeah. it's, um, I met him at um, – this Cornerstone Music Festival, pretty much a lot of the, these um, guys are like pretty much underground, you know, artists that are actually Christians. And they've been, a lot of them have been around since the 60s and 70s. And it was just kind of like, well, hey, this is a festival for people that are into this, if you're into that, you know, and a lot of, a lot of them are really cool. Joel was one of the um, few black heavy metal guys that I met there. Um, 
in him and, and Philip Powell, who did Screams of Abel, who I've been trying to actually get an entry on, but I'm still waiting for him to give me my his his more information on it. He's a dandy guy now. Like he does a lot of dandy fashion stuff now. Oh yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. My friend, you know Phil. Phil's an awesome dude. He's no, rad. No. But he's. I think he's in the D.C. area too. Um. But um. I'm sorry. I'm Mr. Longwinded. But no, yeah, no. I know Joel. Yeah, because I remember. i It was a funny story. I I started chatting with Joel on Twitter, right, and. I asked him, shot in the dark, would you happen to know Orlando Greenhill? He said, yeah, yeah, how'd you guess? Because you're the only two Christian guys I know that love grindcore. <laughs> that was literally the fucking guess. Like, I was trying to figure out, all right, shot in the dark, because y'all's tastes are very similar. So I'm like, okay, got them on the religious side. They like grindcore. I wonder if they know each other. And, well, what, well, look at that. You guys do. Yeah, and he's the thing about him that's that also a trip too. Both of us are into like we're pretty eclectic. Oh yeah, and, and both of us are into hardcore hip hop and a lot of extreme metal stuff. The funny thing about him, if you've ever heard any of his projects, one of my favorite ones is um, Lamal. Now you know that's a brother if you if the if the band is called Lamal. <laughs> it's his middle name. But the funny thing about that. The first song is hard. It's called Bounce With Me, dude. It's like a death metal sort of tech. Like, it's a trip. And then he does a shout out at the end of the album. I'm like, oh, man. that <laughs> You know, you know, like, brothers will be rocking that, man. So it's just like, man, I, I dig this, man. Like, he's, he's very diverse. I mean, this brother has played with, like, Take Six. And then he turns around and does things like All Gods Destroyed, you know, which is kind of like death metal, but kind of like very experimental. He's all over the place, man. He's, he's a great dude too, man. Like, oh, totally. has a good heart. And, and it's always good to listen to anyone and everyone, no matter what walk of life they come from. He's never been like somebody with an elitist attitude, especially with oh, all the stuff that he's done musically with so many different artists and everything. Funny story. Here's the crazy part about it. I actually know his cousin. Wow. All right. Small world, man. All right. That's crazy. There was this R&B group called Player, right? And it had Static Major, unfortunately, Static Past, right? So it was two guys in the band named Smoke and Black. All right. I got to know Smoke, actually, because he's now in Drew Hill, as well as Black, right? So wow. what happened was Joel mentioned, yeah, my cousin and I did this song, and apparently, you know, the song was, it was a cover of Metallica's one. All right, so after a Drew Hill show, right? So I'm backstage, you know, hanging with the guys and everything. So I finally get to meet Smoke and everything, right? So I'm like, how you doing there? What's up? Or it's like, I know your cousin, you know? You know, kind of dab each other up. I was like, and there was this weird, there was this kind of, but it's true that we look at it at a quick glance. So I was like, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, you know my cousin Joel. So then he turns over to Black and says, don't look at him, but like my cousin Joel right here. And the thing about it is, Joel and I do have a kind of similar fashion aesthetic, actually, even the same kind of glasses. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, eh, it's a common thread. A lot of black rockers don't dress the same way. Shoot. Yeah, they told me I look like Angelo. I don't look nothing like Angelo. Angelo got a straight nose. And no, he, no, I look no, no, like no. Marvel. You look more like the dude. Yes, you look more like anything. You look more like the dude Um, from, from no, 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 from, what's that? from Death Grips. Yeah, man, I used to get him a lot. Like even that film that that little um, 
that <laughs> that pilot you saw, if you look under the YouTube comments, someone's like, oh, that's MC Ride. I started dying. <laughs> I'm like, no, they didn't. <sighs> Funny thing is, I know Zach, but I've never met MC Ride. I really wanted to keep my beard just to take a picture with that cat before I cut it. Yeah, so, Zach's the one who plays drums, right? Yeah, Zach's hella cool, man. I met him at a boredom's um um, a board, a board drums festival is the 88 drummers. Um, and he was one of them. Shout out to my friend, Weasel Walter. Um, he got me in that. And like, basically like, uh, uh, man, like, like he was in it and just like, it was so cool to, to not only meet Weasel in person finally, but also to meet Zach and see a few other cats that I knew there, you know? So that was dope. Cause you played drums too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I play drums. I didn't play with that. I didn't play with the boredoms that I wish I did, man. I wish I just, I was there to watch, okay. but yeah, I play drums too. That's like my second instrument that I really kind of took to. Yeah. Cause I'm looking it up right now because you're right. Cause you played with, how can I how can we put this? A shitload of people actually like, <laughs> like really like the list goes on. I forgot all about these guys. Millions of shaved heads. I forgot all about these guys. Yeah, That's my, that's actually a band that I formed. Um, shout out to my friend Tim Stevens from the band Philly band uh, Farquhar Muck and Fuss. Um, he's a filmmaker these days, but me and him wanted to play some hardcore punk, and and he he was out here for a little bit, and my dad was also in that band too. And the funny thing is, my you know he heard me and my friend Tim talking about this. My friend Peter Peter Chan of Create, and he's like, hey, you know, you want to. Like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, we're playing some punk. He's like, can I join? I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? And he was down. I wish that I wish that I had videos. There, there is a video on YouTube, but it's not, it's not millions of shaved heads like with my dad and like the the other cats. It's a whole different band, you know, some other friends of mine. And but like, what we did, <laughs> just imagine free jazz sped up, but like, like all the songs are like less than a minute. <laughs> all right knowing you're into grindcore would you say there's a correlation between free jazz and grindcore yeah i will i will say that and it's it's cool that people like uh john zorn even kind of ex ex exploited that a bit you know like i would say that even though some i'm sure like yeah I, i'm i definitely would say that you know, um, and some people can say it was, you know, there's some indirect influence, but there's a lot of similarities. Um, <laughs> if you really want to go at it, like, you you could take segments. I think free jazz is definitely even more spontaneous than grindcore because you never know where it's coming from. With grindcore, which came pretty much like, grindcore originally was just punk rock. It was hardcore. Mick Harris, who, thank God, I even had the chance to chat to for a little bit. This dude coined the term grindcore and also coined the blast beat term. I'm glad he did that, too, in a sense, because it almost gave it its own, you know, distinct sound. Because it was all pretty much hardcore or thrash back then, you know, back in the late 80s, very early 90s, even though you, people would say it's defined. I remember just hearing about... Napalm Death even being considered grind, I mean, <clears throat> hardcore before I even heard the term grindcore, hmm. let alone there was hardcore bands that did blast beats, you know, like, and a lot of blast beats were done in a lot of free jazz. They just weren't called blast beats. They were called fills, you know, like um, you would hear Tony, Tony Williams doing blast beats on some of the earlier Lifetime stuff. 
certain rock bands like Emerson, Lake and Palmer and, and Billy Joel's old like heavy metal band that he hates called Attila. They've even done that. But a lot of that was just fillers. Hardcore punk comes along. They want to play as fast as they could. So they're doing roles, you know, just to outdo whatever came before them. And, and for some reason, even within those roles, someone just decided to just kind of emphasize that fill as more of like a staple beat. So you had like <clears throat> bands like, you know, some people would say Neos, um, DRI did it. There's a lot of bands that did that beat back then. And then you had like a lot of metal bands that were influenced by like a lot of these hardcore bands take on that beat too, hmm. just playing as fast as they could. I mean, shoot, Sarcophago, Hyrax did it. Actually, Hyrax's drummer, one of their, their earliest drummer was the guy from DRI who was already playing blast beats. So, and he was also the same guy that played on the death, um, the death metal band death, their earlier stuff. And he's doing blast beats on there. Eric Brecht doesn't get as much props as he should with, for, for, for that beat. And he, and I think he's very underrated for that, but um, yeah, there, I, sorry for the long, <laughs> I would say, yeah, there's a correlation. It might not be directly, but it's still there. It's, it's still that same spirit of spontaneity, even if it's kind of directed, you know, it's, it's grindcore and free jazz have a lot in common. Yes, there are differences, but there's a lot of correlations and just certain things that are very similar. Hmm. <laughs> I can talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> no problem. Hell, the show's an hour. So, you know, <laughs> you know, this is like informative, you know, this is informative to listeners and whatnot, actually, you know, you know, so I'm glad this stuff's out here, you know. So that being said, what would you say your musical background is? Like, how did you learn how to play bass and how did you learn, you know, how to play different instruments? Mostly self-taught, to be honest. I mean, I had, like, I would say it was weird because, like, what I would do is, like, try to mimic what I was listening to. I grew up on a lot of what people call classic rock. Um <clears throat> Early 70s had a lot of influence on my playing, drums, bass, and guitar-wise, especially bass-wise. I got into, like, a lot of progressive rock. Um, the 70s basically was an educational tool <clears throat> for me to appreciate the music that came before, 60s and 70s, especially the 70s. Mm -hmm. Like, that gave me an appreciation for jazz, blues, and classical. Like, I got it. I got everything all these bands were doing because, for some reason... <clears throat> I don't even know how I got it. I just got it. And it made me kind of like research these bands and just, I kind of got what they were listening to, you know? Um, and, you know, it was people like Chris Squire from Yes, Stanley Clark, um, Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath, Getty Lee from Rush, you know, um, and so many others, Bootsy, of course, um, you know, I definitely was a huge progressive rock fan, you know, like, Genesis, early yes, King Crimson, definitely John Wetton's version of that. Like he had a huge influence on me because it was like, okay, kind of similar to yes, but darker and even more straight ahead at times. Um, and I love dark, I played dark bass lines by the drop of my hand, you know, like, so John Wetton was a huge influence on me. May he rest in peace. And um, I don't know, I was pretty much self-taught as far as drums too. Like I would be listening to everything from like a lot of the grind, um, hardcore punk, British punk, hip hop, early funk, heavy metal from the seventies, especially from like the very early seventies Sabbath and all that stuff. Um, a lot of psychedelic stuff, 
trying to emulate jazz. I wasn't as good at a lot of that stuff. So I, I, I went to basically start just playing. What I learned from trying to play a lot of the progressive rock stuff, basically I took that kind of light touch to punk and, and hardcore and it's why I can play as fast as I can and <clears throat> blast beats everything, you know, and just a lot of things in hip hop, like, I, you know, listening to Ice Cube, Public Enemy, The Coup, all that stuff influenced my drumming. Like the way that I play is how they sampled stuff and just my ideas, even when it comes to composition, you know, is, is, is an influence by, <clears throat> it's influenced by hip hop as well as classical. The early 90s was like the early 70s was to rock. I'm sorry, the early 90s for hip hop was like the early 70s was for rock and roll. Very diverse and it was an explosion of style, which is what all that stuff influenced me back then, man. And classical drumming too, like a lot of orchestral drumming. So I took all that stuff and basically like put it in my style. Now, a lot of people, when they hear me, they probably wouldn't hear that. Hopefully one of these days I'll be able to release my other stuff that I have on four track. I just got to find a way to get all this stuff on the computer from a four track that I've recorded in the nineties. Maybe you might hear it, but for the most part, all that stuff has influenced me. It's so much stuff. I mean, even like, like there's a lot more stuff that's influenced me on all those instruments too. Hmm. Early nineties hip hop was basically like early seventies was to rock and roll. Both were very eclectic. You know, it was like the late sixties, was a springboard um, for, for, for all the things to explode in the 70s. And same with the, uh, the, the late 80s when it came to hip hop and what it loaded into as far as all the different flowers and different styles of hip hop. Very diverse decade the 90s was for hip hop like the 70s was for rock and roll. I love how you put that. That's a great parallel. Yeah, those are two of my favorite eras, man. Um, they're calling it the golden age now for, for hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, and for the early 70s, they just call it classic rock. Okay, calling back to Create, there was an album out, right? We actually released um, three albums. One really? that we, we had one that was not recorded. I mean, I'm sorry, one that was recorded but never got released. Oh. Um, I don't know why. Um, I, maybe we because we wanted to have more songs to finish on that. Okay. Our first album was Moth Nor Rust. That's the one that my dad's on. Mm -hmm. The second album, which is actually, I mean, that album's a trip. Uh, it's its actually my favorite. I don't know. I mean, I like both albums, um, all three of them. Patterns is a trip because it's almost like, it's like, dude, really? Like how, and there's a lot of that in the first album too, but the, for some reason with Patterns, it just seemed as if like, like we sat down and wrote that. We didn't. We didn't write any of it. We improvised all of it. Hmm. And it, it's such a, a, a trippy album. I, I got to find, I don't even have like a copy of it. I got to find it if I do, you know, like just to get it on CD for myself. Um, and the third one was actually, I mean, it was pretty much just a free jazz album. That it, I mean, there was no other, all the other songs on the other two albums, every song was pretty much different. On this album, it was just all jazz. And we had, you know, my friend Justice Constantine on there, um, saxophonist Lynn Johnston, who played with like Red Crayola and a bunch of different other bands like Sacker and Trust. I think he jammed with those guys at one point. Um, I haven't seen him since that album. But um, yeah, and the other album that we were set to finish was pretty diverse too. But 
um, what was the name of that last album? Shame on me. Um, ah, I, I, how could I forget? I forgot the title of our, our last album. That definitely was all free jazz. Like, I mean, you couldn't, you know, like the whole album was, you know, there's a song on the end that kind of has like kind of an art ensemble of Chicago free jazz classical thing going on. And, and Chris chose to name it after my own middle name because there's nobody with that name. <laughs> he just thought it would be kind of like clever to name it that. <laughs> but yeah, that was funny. I was about to ask, is Patterns available online somewhere? So I take that as a no. Man, I, I can't find it. I wish a lot of our stuff was. I mean, you know, but I don't even know. Like, unless somebody has it on eBay or something, like, I have to even find a copy if I have it. You know, I wish, you know, I have to look through, like, a bunch of CDs, like, and those are kind of locked away right now. Understood. But Pattern. Um, oh, yeah, Prospect. Oh my gosh. Prospect for Freedom or something I think is the last release. Mm. I'm getting old. How could I not remember the only like albums that I have played on the title? In <laughs> fairness, you've played on a lot of projects. In fairness, I mean, you've literally okay, this is the next question. You've bounced from genre to genre and collaborator to collaborator like a volleyball on meth pretty much. Um <laughs> Which genre do you enjoy the most, you know, being a part of? I'll be honest. I'm pretty all over the place when it comes to genres, but what I do enjoy style-wise, no matter what genre, it definitely has to have some excitement. I have an affinity for, like, a lot of dissonant stuff, but also an affinity for stuff with tons of changes, really odd metal melodies, time meters. Um, most of the stuff that I listen to, most people would consider avant-garde or experimental. I've played on a lot of stuff like that, but I've also played on straight stuff too. Um, I like a lot of minor key stuff. A lot of traditional stuff that I listen to, even when it comes to folk music, is what people might consider um, tritonal or, or, or um, what do you call it? What do they call that tone that they, I don't even want to say it because I don't, I don't prefer to that music like that. I don't believe that the devil is in music. Like oh that. yeah. 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 The flattened fifth. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the traditional music I listen to has that. Yeah. And here's the reason, here's the reason why I don't do that. I'm an Orthodox Christian. Most people probably know that, but oh yeah, in our tradition, especially the tradition that um, I, you know, pretty much am associated with. Ethiopian Orthodox Church and even the Coptic Orthodox Church, even some Byzantine chants, basically have those tones all over the place. Yeah. And a lot of even even if you're not a Christian, there's a lot of music that has that. You can go in. I mean, like, like I can't speak for any other religion or whatever, but that that. That whole devil and diabolos uh, music or whatever, I'm not saying it right, but that was some European stuff, dude. Like that, or some people would even say Pythagoras kind of like came up with that yeah. in another way. Um, like basically evil notes and all that. We don't believe in that, dude. Like there's certain, I like what Gurdjieff said. I'm not even a Gurdjieff or fourth way dude, but I really admire what he said about that. He says, when you hear those notes, they're like the highest point of energy. And it's, it's the coolest thing because for me, 
I, I love playing stuff like that long before I even got into playing Middle Eastern music or, or, or African music of any of that, of, of any kind. Yeah. Like I like those notes. Those are in, those are the notes that, that people from our lands played, you know, like just, um, how could you put, like, how could you demonize a note? It doesn't make any freaking sense. You know, um, like, that's why I don't, I don't get frightened off. I, I laugh when people say that. I'm like, okay, well, listen to the ancient chant music and you'll probably freak out because they're not sounding like Gregorian chant, you know? Well, um, no disrespect to people that like Gregorian chant. My friend Rufo from, he's another experimental musician. He does, I like the way he approaches Gregorian chant, but he has an appreciation for a lot of the chant music that I'm into, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, if you go to a Kadasi, you will hear all those tritonal notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's in our liturgy, you know, like, and those are my favorite parts. Like, you know, I just got to translate them from English to Gez, you know. I mean, from Gez and Amharic to English somehow. You know, know, I think that's why we say tritone now, because hopefully we've, you know, progressed, you know, progressed from a certain label, so the term tritone is used more. So, but that's something else I kind of think about. So, so what were you, okay, so you work with some rappers and some hip-hop stuff, right? So what were you doing there? Were you playing drums, bass, what? The only time I've ever played drums is with um, the artist Bizart. And I was actually doing blast beats over some of his stuff too, but never on a recording. We only played, I only played drums with him live once. And I wish that I could have recorded with him like that. But most of the stuff that I did with hip-hop groups were on bass, um, did I ever play any noises on any hip hop groups albums? I think I did something with Omid with Satch. Like I did like a slide whistle thing on, on one of his songs, even though Satch's um, album that I was on was more of a spoken word. I mean, he, he, Satch, I think he was like, yeah, he does like spoken word and he raps, you know? Um, and he, he's a definite LA legend himself. Um, you know, him and, um, who else? Yeah, most of the stuff that I've done was on bass, pretty much, you know. Um, yeah, with, with hip-hop groups, you know. I gotta find that. So, alright, so who would you say would be some dream collaborators of yours? Like, people you haven't worked with, but you feel there's a possible musical kinship just from their material or work that you've heard? Wow, that's hard. Um, Shoot. I would like to work with Frank Luis. Um, Frank's played with like a lot of different people. He's played with Angelo. I've seen him. I, it's funny. His old one of his bands. He said that he had met me years before when I played with Create. I'd like to um, play with that dude. Um, Cameron Graves is another one. He's a he's a good guy too. Cameron Graves played with Wicked Wisdom. But I knew him because he played with Kamasi Washington. I used to go check those guys out, and me and him would always talk about heavy metal. But I would like to play with him. I'd like to jam with you, <laughs> since we're into like a lot of this crazy stuff. You're flattered. Um, Joel, of course, Joe Goodwin. That's been long overdue. Oh, yeah. um, Zach, Zach Hill. Um, Joey from The Locust would be cool. Um, shoot. Who else would, who else would I like? My friend Paul from Upsilon A Crux. There's a lot of people. Um, there's so many cats like um, Charles Hayward. Shout out to Charles Hayward from This Heat. Um, who else? 
there's there's a lot of other cats, man. Um, man, shoot, like Ray X Ray, man. Like, I mean, shoot, Ray. Um, what's his name? Oh yeah, Ramon Bonda, who I've actually played with. Ramon Bonda from Flatbush. I've, he actually has played in my band, but I, I love playing with that dude. Who else? Um, Raymundo from from Ritual, who I just interviewed. Thank you. <laughs> um, if you go on the Black History of Rock and Roll Facebook page, you'll see it. I'm trying to get that video on YouTube. I got to figure out how to rip that to get it over there. But um, man, there's so many. Bill Bruford would be one, even though he's retired. Um, if Tony Williams was alive, that would be awesome. Um, Wal uh, Weasel, definitely. Weasel from we Weasel Walter, who did Flying Lutenbachers and a bunch of other different great bands. Hmm. Um, you know, shoot, there's so many, so many to name, man. Don Bowles, of course. Julian Rozelle, who <laughs> I know Julian does art, but I know he plays drums. There's a lot of people that I would like to collaborate with. I mean, the list goes on, man. There's there's too many, and I feel bad because like if I'm not saying them, like I'm I'm a, I'm a regret and kick myself if I forgot. <laughs> oh, Chris Cutler is another one. Chris Cutler from Henry Cow. Um, there's a lot. There's so there's so much, man. Henry Cow is a name I don't hear a lot actually. Henry Cow is one of my favorite bands, and I've been really happy to communicate with you know a few of the members of that band cool how about the residents oh i like the residents they're crazy you know some of their stuff i'm kind of like uh you kind of suspect you know like that Reich and roll album kind of oh weird. yeah and there's a few things but i like i like the fact that the thing about the residents in groups like that you know um those are groups that kind of were like the odds, the the odd, and some of the groups that were associated with Henry Cow, like the Residents, they're kind of like those odd groups that were kind of prog, but too weird to, you know, like even weirder than most prog bands. But then when punk came out, they fit right in there, but they were still weird. So they even survived punk in where they did, <laughs> you know, like, yep, yep. They were punk in the truest sense, but they were still. You, they didn't die off. They were still new, you know, like punk was almost like supposedly like an avant-garde movement, but these guys are the truest avant-garde cats. I mean, like yeah. even a lot of those guys in the rock and opposition prog movement were kind of along with those lines as well, you know? So how'd you find yourself in a teaching role? Yeah, that's the funny thing. Although I probably only had one student before the whole create and sound army thing, through the create and sound army thing is how I got into that. And I, I, I never thought that I would even be doing a lot of the stuff that I've been doing, to be honest. I, I you know, I'm a college dropout like Kanye West. <laughs> um, but you're actually likable though. Huh? But you're actually likable though. That's the difference. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I fell into it. Basically, you know, doing what I've been doing and it's taught me a lot. I've even gone and take retaking certain classes because I wanted to be a better teacher. I just, you know, for me personally at this moment, I just kind of like don't really like school because of just, you know, um, like I like learning, but I, I, I learn at a certain pace <laughs> compared to how school wants you to learn. I'm not saying that school should not be in session. I'm, you know, like I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea because I do believe that 
that education is always good, you know, but um, for, for some people, some people learn in different ways. And sometimes like school might not be the, the one for them, you know, I don't know. I'm not a, against school. I just don't, I don't want that to come across. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if I yeah. was against it. Oh yeah, I understand. That kind of reminds me, that reminds me a little bit of this old Frank Zappa quote. It was under the, it was something like to get education, go to library, to get laid, go to college. <laughs> and I'm like, that makes total fucking sense. I, That's I'm not funny. disagreeing with that. You know, I mean, like I learned things in school. It's just sometimes they want you to learn at a pace that, you know, in certain ways. And then there's certain things that like that you do that they probably don't really they think it's too remedial at times, you know, or you just kind of are too simple for them. You know, it depends on the teacher. I mean, I learned a lot of great things in college, but I don't see myself going back, at least at this point, to get a degree. Everybody else in my family, like my, my brothers and sisters, my brother and sisters have degrees and stuff, and that's cool. You know, I just didn't, you know, like I usually go, if I go back to school, it's to uh, basically learn what I like to, to make whatever I want to teach better. You know, like I've taken a theory class like at least twice, you know, like just to brush up on certain things. So I'm not really, I'm not against people going with the degree, but I kind of go for different reasons. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. Actually makes complete sense. You know? Yeah. All right. So a lot of people are probably wondering, you guys have an amazing rapport. Like you guys have been known each other for years. Well, yeah, we actually have. So, but then I always find this, I always find the answers fascinating to this question. How'd you find out about Afropunk? My friend Chaz, he's a great artist who was based in Long Beach. I don't know where he is now. My friend Chaz, um, how could I, my friend goes by Jua now. He, he's, his name is Jua. I think that's his African name now. Mm -hmm. He's an amazing artist that can draw anybody. Like, I wish I still had the, 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 the picture he drew of me back in the day. He was a part of a group called Circle of Architects with my homeboy Ron and my other homie Brian. Um, Chaz, we, were, we saw each other, this is like, I think early 2000s, like, hey, have you ever heard of this thing called Afropunk? I'm like, what? No. And so he was the one that told me about it. And, and once I saw the board and everything, it was on, man. It was on. Like, I, I just had to become a part of that. Because I was, it was, man, I'm, man, I know what it's like being a punk rocker, you know, a black punk rocker growing up in the, you know, very late 80s, early 90s, you know, or just a rocker period, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know you've got into acting too. So how did that come about? Wow. It's funny because I've, I, you know, I took one acting class in college, but I didn't even, I wasn't even in the acting then. I just thought it would be cool. Um, I basically like kind of just started doing extra work. Um, and I've also been in a few plays. One I even did, me and my dad did the score for as far as music. Um, community plays was one thing and then just doing extra work so those two together like was was how I even started doing any of that stuff you know um and shoot it's just a very much of a hustle all the actors that I've ever met that um are doing what they do they're constantly hustling and to be honest I don't know how they make a living with with barely like getting jobs you know or just barely getting work you know so I'm I'm you know 
it's why I don't, I don't really, I can't say that I'm dedicated to it. I haven't done anything in almost a few years. I've been on videos, you know, K Michelle, I did one for Fetty Wap, some Japanese hip hop group that I can't remember the, the name to. And I wish I could find the video, but I can't been on TV shows. Um, shoot. Um, you know, some that I, I, I don't even know. I was even in a Chinese soap opera once, break dancing, looking all punk rock. <laughs> I haven't seen that at all, though. I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> huh? I'm sorry, what now? Yeah, it was a Chinese soap opera. I wish I could find the title of it, but I can't. <laughs> I have pictures of me and the guy that I was dancing with and playing bucket drums with, but yeah. <laughs> I was all odd rocked out, made up and stuff. It was crazy. Nice. So, speaking, that was your name on the Afropunk board, Odd Rocker, right? Actually, I went by, um, on the first Afropunk board, I went by Uh Oh. It was. That's what it was. Yep. Yep. That was the first one that I chose. And then Odd Rocker was on the newer board. Yeah. Okay. So, how did Uh Oh come about? Oh, man. I just, I couldn't just choose O. And I just thought it would be pretty funny to, like, put that on there and. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's what I that's what came that's what pretty much that's how that happened you know I'm like oh I'll just leave the H off and put like an exclamation mark <laughs> crazy huh alright so how'd you get casted in the adult swim short the pound hole oh man as much as I hate the title of that because it sounds like yes, a damn porno it does actually <laughs> I was trying to figure out like what's called what now yeah, I didn't know it was called that until after. And it's funny because the guys that did that, I think they all have you they have a YouTube channel or whatever that they were kind of getting famous off of and um I forget the name of of who what they call themselves but um I basically went to an audition that that was a dance audition and they wanted weird dancers. I went up there, you know, my I had my my hair at the time it was a bit longer than, you know, it was even in the movie. Um had that slick back kind of, and like just, I had my makeup on and my beard spiked out. And I basically started, you know, I'm a B-boy and popper. So I started dancing my style of it, which I call the odd rock style. Um, doing all the weird stuff. And actually the cool part about that, my signature move that I made up is documented in that movie. So I'm like, I was really happy that that they got that on camera. That way anyone trying to bite me, they they can't. <laughs> um but yeah like I basically did that and they thought I had like really zombie like moves and ironically one of the moves is from Evil Dead 2 that I just kind of modified actually two of them are that I do that I just kind of made my own thing and modified it a bit to make it even creepier but um yeah they liked the way that I was dancing and and they liked my energy they made a character pretty much based off of how I looked and in, in the dancing and all that Cause I, I mean, I, I'm probably one of the only few dudes. No, I was the only guy with makeup on there. I wear eyeliner. I haven't done it in a while, but yeah, it's, that's an old punk rock thing, though. You know. So, are yeah. any other projects you appeared in that really stick out? Um, I was in a, a a movie. I haven't seen it yet. Called Sixty Nine Souls, or Ninety Six. No, Ninety Six Souls. I'm sorry. Mm. Um, and. I play a homeless guy in that one. What's another one? Um, I was in, I've been in a few other videos, like a Hamaki video dancing. Um, who else? K. Michelle, I, I played with her. Um, 
Miss Love and Hip Hop, um, short Southern Gal. Oh yeah, no, um, familiar. Yeah, I met her too. She was pretty funny. <laughs> I was a, a little intimidated by her beauty. Yeah, remember Archer from Old Out for Punkport? Who? Remember Archer from Old Out for Punkport? Oh wow, Bigly. Um, yeah, she actually kind of knows K. Michelle. That's hilarious. Yeah, they're both wow. from Memphis. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, man, I haven't heard that name in a long time, man. Archer, that's crazy. So, how did Black History of Rock and Roll come about? Black History of Rock and Roll started when I was a kid. I'm probably. This is why I think we like pretty much like, like we we have a mean kinship when it comes to like just like our musical nerd knowledge. Oh yeah. <laughs> I as. I, as a kid, would be at the library, you know, I'm like 10, 11 years old, just reading about all these musics from the 60s and 70s um, and, and, and taking notes on a lot of different things. And one of the things that I took notes on was like, if I've read, read that certain artists were black or, or just certain things. And from then on, because people were always saying that, you know, I love rock and roll back then, you know, as a little kid. But, um, you know, you would hear the narrative or see just different things that people were always attributing rock and roll to white people. And even a lot of our own people have done that. Oh, yeah. So for me, I just basically like the black history of rock and roll came out of all the notes that I've been taking since I was a child on who was black in certain rock bands, um, especially from the 60s and 70s. That's where my primary thing came from. And the, one of the reasons... I, I chose that is because around the, the mid to late 60s, that was supposedly like our exclusion from rock and roll or, or where people would say that we didn't, we didn't really play it as much. So for me, I'm like, okay, it may not have been a lot in your scheme, but there's a lot more than you think, you know? So like I started taking a lot of um, notes from that era. Plus it's my favorite era of music, as I said earlier, 60s and 70s. Um, so that basically came from that. And of course, there's things that I found out after that up to, up to this day, you know, so it's been always a constant research or just things that I've took mental note of in my head from, from, from when I was a kid to now. And, and now it's a trip. I never thought that I would end up using it the way that I'm using it now. Um, when I started online, I think it may even been on MySpace, I vaguely, re vaguely remember, but for sure on Facebook, it started in 2013. Um, I made it into a hashtag series a bit later than that. So, um, and I, I don't know why I didn't make it into a group back then, but I'm glad that I'm doing it now. Um, I started making it into a hashtag on 2016 and then like into a group actually a few months ago, as you see. And um, it's been really cool. And it was also how that started was every Black History Month, that's what I would do. Just basically feature Black artists that played rock and roll. Now, I just didn't want it to make it into a Black History uh, Month thing and just make it into an ongoing project. And to be honest, I still think about even writing a book based off of the projects that I've been doing. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm still thinking about it, though. Um, and, and, and especially with the way Facebook is going, I'm probably just going to, I'm going to have to figure something out. But yeah, that's, um, 
that's how that started. And it, it's a great thing. And I'm glad to have even like Afropunk buddies like yourself being a part of that. Thank you. Um, it means a lot because you guys are, we're, we're a part of that too. You know, we're all a part of this. Oh, yeah. um, um, there's a lot of people that I haven't featured yet. I have a long list. Um, James is definitely on it. You know, um, I want to get other artists, you know, that have put out stuff. There's a lot of artists that are still, um, that I haven't featured yet that I'm going to that even back in the sixties and seventies and even from the twenties and, and through the fifties that I'm going to feature. I haven't, I've done a few artists during that time, but I'm going to be doing more of course. I just think a lot of people, you know, they expect it from that time. What they don't expect is artists that are from the sixties, seventies and eighties. When you have like, um, people like Nile Rogers talking about how the record industry told him um, that his band Big Apple, you know, would not be marketable because he was black. So he formed Chic. Chic is amazing. And they still, and it's funny how it, he pretty much came back to that too, working with Duran Duran and all those guys, you know, oh, yeah. like, um, but Chic was amazing too with the way that they put their spit on, on funk. You know, they tried to label them a disco group. I would no. say maybe disco friendly, but they're, you know, now I would say we're a funk band, you know, like, um, same thing with Nikki Buzz. Nikki Buzz is probably lesser known. Nikki Buzz was um, the, uh, the the lead singer of a band that played at CBGB's called Sun. The first time I remember even seeing a comp was him. I'm sorry. First time I ever, ever so sorry about this. The no first problem. time I ever remember seeing him was on a compilation from CBGB's. And like I said, I take notes of every brother that I saw, whether it be on an album cover, read about it in a book, um, read a, you know, seen posters, seen videos, seen like movies or whatever. I took notes. And so that's where that black history of rock and roll thing came from. But Nikki Buzz was talking about, you know, his experience with the radio station and a dude um, basically didn't believe that was him um, who, who uh, uh, on the album, when he came to be interviewed by that guy at the station. And so the guy basically broke the album right in front of him and said, we don't play nigger music here. So stuff like that, that's one of the things that I'm just like, and there's too many other examples of that. You know, them marketing, you know, um, R&B only for black people and, you know, basically putting black people just to play R&B and, and saying white people could only, I mean, could only play for rock and roll. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, rock and roll artists can only play for white people. You know, I mean, this that stupid marketing thing. It's why you had, you know, Things like the BRC even happened because of that Jim Crow bull crap in the music industry. Oh, yeah. There's so many different examples of that. So the black history of rock and roll is definitely like stating it's it's basically telling our story, you know, like and and you know, showing our contributions to this music that we like. You know, that were I'm it's funny you mention that because I do remember hearing a story about a about a black rock artist back in the 80s but his picture wasn't on the album cover and a lot of people didn't a lot of people didn't know it was actually a black guy you know until you know photos of him circulated and i think that might have been nikki buzz because i do remember hearing that story yeah nikki was in vendetta i know that but you know that happened to a lot of black artists i mean even up till like the 90s early 2000s look at what happened to kanan they didn't want him him to put his album they didn't want him to put his face on the, his album cover. That's why he called it Show My Face. 
this has been happening to us, man. Even with Lenny, it's weird. They, they tried to do the same thing to him when it came to not only marketing, but style-wise with music. And he refused to do it. That was a bold move back then. Oh, yeah. You know, when it came to, to, to what, you know, Lenny Kravitz wanted to do, you know? Prince yeah. was, you know, he, he, he stood a good thing because he kind of like, you know, him – and uh, I would say Rick James to some degree, but even more so Prince, he kind of stood between the lines of that. But it was people like Lenny Kravitz that definitely, like, they couldn't tolerate because at times he didn't stand the line. And I'm not saying Prince, I love Prince. I'm not saying nothing oh, yeah. against Prince. Prince is, you know, he'll rock with the best of them, but he had a good, he, he had, he, I don't know how to say it. He was definitely teetering, you know. Oh, yeah. um, and he got crap too from cats back then, you know, like totally. just, and then you had living color, you know, was like, hell no, we, no, we're here, <laughs> you know, like we're here and we're going to rock this madness. But then you had also a lot of underground artists. Of course, we know the bad brains and tons of other different brothers and sisters and bands that didn't give a care about what the music industry thought because they were doing their stuff DIY, you know, oh, yeah. and then that's what it Orlando, great chatting with you. You know, I really feel like we're really catching up right here, you know. And, you know, you're a really talented guy, and I'm glad to have you on here, you know. I appreciate it, man. Like, seriously, dude. Like, especially with a, a with an APOG like yourself, you know. Thank you. Game recognized game. You know. Yeah, you know. So anything else you want to mention to the listeners out there? Yeah, again, you know, like if you're, whether you're a musician or an artist or whatever, dude, like you guys are all creative. And the thing is, it doesn't matter like where you come from, doesn't matter like what you do. When you create, it's always to bring life, you know. Um, and, and just that's what you want to do with your life as well as others. You know, creativity is always complementary and it doesn't you know, oppress, it doesn't um, overrule, it doesn't, like, it doesn't kill, still, and destroy. When you create, whatever needs to go, will go. Um, and, and But there's always beauty that germinates from wherever you are. And everyone has that potential in it. And now it's what we do, decision-wise, is what makes that. I, I, I pray the best for everybody. Um, and I just, you know, I want everyone to, to, to have, you know, a sense of, you know, justice and, and be blessed in the name of the most high, you know, like that's where I'm coming from at least, you know. Hey, great catching up with Orlando. Check out his projects. I don't know where to start with them. Seriously, look him up on Discogs and enjoy the rabbit hole. I mean, he's literally played from everybody from... I don't know where to start with that, dude. Anyway, check out Discogs and go down the rabbit hole. You will not be disappointed.